it's interesting to just um, be on social media in an age when, uh, in a time of the year when people have probably an excessive amount of time in their hands. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair way to say it. And where there's there's too much time, bad things can come from it. That's right. And our discussion is talking about how to do theology in the Twitter age. And our goal is probably to enumerate uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of doing theology in this uh, vastly bizarre uh, season of church history, I would say, a season where there is too much exposure. There is There are too many voices, and it becomes kind of a, a cacophony at times. Too many debates, which can draw our attention to unnecessary things in church life. There was a time when there was one major debate, and we could almost long for the days of uh, the federal vision. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I feel like we live in an age where there are uh, dozens of federal vision controversies ongoing. Yeah. You know, I can just think of the recent uh, complementarian debates, debates over um, uh, sexuality, same-sex attraction. Some of these are uh, higher in the, uh, the hierarchy, in the scale of things. But it's very hard to keep up with everything. So I guess one of the first questions I think is worthy of consideration is, does a Christian, let's not say um, those in positions of authority in the church, but does the the regular layman who wants to live their lives uh, to the glory of God, uh, working nine to five, caring for their children, living their lives as single people, do they have some kind of responsibility to keep up with everything going on in, in the um, in the church today? Yeah, it's such a good question. You know, I I hope not because I know I don't keep up (laughs) with everything. Um, You know, you mentioned how many things there are. And in addition to sort of keeping up with them, it's just being able to evaluate um, their importance. You know, it's hard to know sometimes because, you know, every little niche theological debate is somebody's wheelhouse and the most important thing to them that when you stumble into it, um, it, it feels really, really important because everybody is, uh, is so invested in it. Um, that it is hard to sort of know, uh, what level of importance should you, uh, should you give to it? Um, I'll say something positive just about sort of, you know, lay people who are interested in, in theology, um, yeah, let, let's let's start. That's a good point. Let's start with the the good before we deal with the bad and the ugly. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know when this will air, but my uh, Breakpoint article this week is about. Uh, did you watch the Democratic presidential debate, the one with like Mayor Pete and Joe Biden? I watched uh, sections of both. Yeah, uh, Mayor Pete said something about. Um, how, you know, Republicans sort of will cloak their language in faith talk. And he said, we don't like to do that as Democrats because we strongly believe in separation of church and state. Right. And, uh, one of the points I had, and, you know, I, I remember writing almost this exact same article in the last presidential uh, debate because someone always says this, right? Don't bring your faith to this sphere because that's bringing the church. But the thing about the Bible is, as you know, is there it's not restricted to the church you know it has things to say to business people it has things to say in the realm of uh the family um and in all sorts of in, in politics even and justice system 
it speaks to uh, to all of life, right? Not just the church. So I think one helpful thing about uh, doing theology in the context of social media, Twitter and Facebook, is that it does kind of take the Bible out of the silo of the church and it scatters its seed um, wide. And, you know, we, I think, that's a good thing insofar as it's God's word just um, going widely. And I'll say too, for you, I think whenever I think of people doing theology well in the context of Twitter and Facebook, I think of two people. Uh, one of them is uh, George Grant, uh, who you know, a wonderful pastor in sort of the yes. national area, who is just constantly using is Facebook and his Twitter as a way of, of doing theology, but sort of in an encouraging way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not real argumentative or anything like that, but just providing a great theological resource. I mean, I go every day. I He's one person. And the second person is you. Uh, I think you have a really unique ability. Usually post a picture with it, which is good because it catches my eye with the picture. But you offer really sort of... Uh, wise advice a lot of times and sometimes just a reflection on Facebook. How do you think through, you know, you have a million different ways to use your time, but you invest time in social media and giving theological reflections on Facebook, on Twitter. How do you sort of think through that? Well, uh, well, first of all, thank you for your, your kind comments. I, I think that the, uh, the social media can become can receive the same criticism that politics receives. It's polarized, and um, you know. And I, in some ways, I find that uh, polarization disturbing. In other ways, I find it endearing. I think there is a time when we need to really stand our ground, and this is who we are. I do think that the um, that we tend to thrive, however, because I think it's human nature to thrive on the polarization department. And because finding, you know, to use another P, because finding peace is a lot harder. It yeah. requires uh, several additional steps, and it takes us out of our comfort zone to the point where at times we have to concede to things that we're not ready to concede. And so it really, um, peace is harder than uh, to be polemic. And so um, in light of that, and in light of the fact that I have a, a very uh, unique calling as a pastor, as you do, uh, pastor and theologian, so part of my desire in um, being engaged in social media is to provide an open door for people to enter into a conversation that before they thought that um, they, perhaps they said, look, I can't, I, I I didn't know I could have this conversation unless it were in a polemical environment. But yeah. uh, now I have this guy who is opening the door to have this conversation in an environment that appears to be open for dialogue and where I don't feel that my thoughts are crushed or he is um, touching on a subject that I've always cared about but didn't know I was able to ask about. So that's sort of been my perspective as I've approached um, you know, doing theological work and theology in the broad sense, but doing theological work in the social media age. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, appreciate you talking about your context and doing that because that kind of allows room for um, you know, as a pastor, you're trying to create this pathway for people asking questions and so forth. And someone else who isn't a pastor, who's maybe just a businessman or uh, a mom or whatever, 
um, it sort of al- allows some flexibility for everybody being in, in a different place, right? And not everybody's tone has to uh, match sort of exactly. Um, so, you know, we've said some things about positive uh, and, and then we've said cautions and sort of how to go about um, doing theology in a, in a Twitter age. Um, what do you think is sort of built in? What are some built in negatives? Um, of Twitter that we sort of have to be aware and guard ourselves against? The most obvious built-in negative is that uh, people think that they have to opine almost immediately after an event. So I know that's a an obvious point, but I think it's an important one because I think um, one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. And if there's one place that we lack that virtue is on social media. Mm. Uh, we don't um, give time for the spirit to work in our hearts and help us orchestrate 140 characters more uh, uh, faithfully and consistently and biblically. And so when we don't give the time for the spirit to sort of convict us of our own sins, it's quicker to jump into the conversation with a, with an observation that's obviously an overreaction. So what the lack of patience does is it forces us into an overreactive mode, and very, very little good can come out of that. The vast majority of consequences are negative in that regard, and so we don't think through these conversations carefully. We just feel that we need to throw in our voices quickly, and what that does is it diminishes the sophistication of any conversation and the theological uh, framework, and also, I think, diminishes the power of our witness in a social media age. Uh, We have entire theological discussions taking place um, in a social media platform. And so that elevates the importance of the conversation in our words. And it just seems that the, the speed of social media age catches us off guard and it tempts us in an area where I think we're weakest, which is in the area of thinking before we speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another thing I think of um, is is being overly solidified or getting concrete in ideas too young. I, uh, right. Whitney, my wife, is very gracious and kind to me after after I preach. But one thing she will say occasionally when it's true, and she did just the other day, I preached somewhere, and afterwards I said, how do you feel like that went? And she said, at one point, you went into your preacher voice. Mm. And whenever she says this, what she means is, and I do it whenever I'm tired, mm-hmm. whenever I'm tired, it's, it's really hard to be in the moment. And like in that particular time, I had preached on this passage before and, and, and it's kind of a defense mechanism too, but it's sort of just a way of like becoming a caricature of yourself. Right. And, and you can sort of zone out and, and maybe that's inevitable to some degree that as you get older, you know, you're you're not going to change your mind as much, and you're 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 going to get sort of solidified. But what strikes me is, you know, there'll be like a 24 year old on Facebook who's just like digging his heels in that you know you can't be a Christian and be an Arminian or something like that, right? And and it's stuff that you know they're just so confident, so young, and I think to myself. It's easy for me. I think about when I was 20 and 22 and 23. I mean, I changed my mind on all sorts of stuff. And it wasn't really embarrassing because no one cared what I thought when I was 23 or 24. Mm-hmm. 
But now you have these people who've really built uh, a platform and the cost of changing their mind, of being adaptive, of exploring new possibilities and so forth, they've really sort of sealed in their their ideology at a, a super young age. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me social media has a way of doing that where, you know, you it's not just that you hold this position, but that this position holds you and gives you your identity. Wow. Yeah. And the, thought of, the thought of shifting on it is it wouldn't just be, well, I'm changing my idea. It would be, I'm changing my identity. Mm. Uh, and it seems to me that, you know, one thing we can do, cause I can't, you know, go change that 23 year old's mind or something. But one thing we can do is try to create an environment where people can change their minds and it's sort of welcomed and, and they're not just beat over the head, you know, or someone expresses a really, you know, firm belief. And perhaps by us engaging and arguing and arguing and arguing, all we're doing is putting them in a corner where they can't change, you know, and just kind of giving people room to say, okay, you know, that's, that's your opinion and not forcing people to dig in their heels. I don't know exactly how to do that. But it seems to me that solidification and cementing of ideology is a real problem in doing theology in a Twitter age. Mm. That's a very good point. Now, w- one thing that uh, I've noticed you do is you um, avoid the kind of um, evangelical cliches. I mean, you are obviously you're reading a lot, which is which I would say if you're looking for principles for how to get involved in social media, read, read a lot. Uh, read diversity, but you you have a way of bringing in these very uh, juicy words and quotes from authors that sometimes people are not reading online and in book form. How do you go about that process of publishing something on um, on Facebook, for example? Yeah, you know it's funny because um, I basically whenever I read something and I find it interesting, a quote, I uh, there's a journal and sort of a database I'll put it in. But then a lot of times, especially I did this, you know, for the past several years is I would like put quotes on Facebook just of, you know, if I read an article in the Wall Street Journal or just anywhere, you know, I'd do that. And now Facebook has this thing where it pops up like you have a memory of, you know, you said you quoted this four years ago or something. Right. And and you can also search it. So it's really funny. I um, if I have an article due, I'll search on my Facebook wall like charity or something. And I'll have like 50 quotes on charity. And so that's actually kind of amazing. It's not so much now that I'm using my other work to put into Facebook, but now Facebook, I'm able to sort of reap that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But just in terms of reading, you know, some some good advice I got um, early on was there there's a set of like great books of, of classic literature and culture and so forth that that you need to immerse yourself in. And and I went to a college, thankfully, that had a great, great books program and so forth. But but what they said was you really have to just follow your nose whenever it comes to reading. And a lot of times, you know, if you bind yourself to I'm only gonna read Moby Dick. I'm only gonna read Augustine and Calvin. Um, you sort of let that, you know, the perfect be the enemy of the best. And so, mm. uh, this summer I've read, uh, 
a ton of uh, autobiographies on different comedians. Mm. Um, I read, uh, anyways, so, you know, you kind of just, whatever you find interesting in that moment, you read it. And then like you're saying, the truth is, whether it's preaching or writing or whatever, um, that sort of information is, and those quotes and those insights and so forth are going to be different enough that um, that it does create a little bit of texture to what you're saying. Yes, you know, of yes. course, you can just say like, "Here's this theological position" or whatever. But if you are able to say, you know, and here's how this could be filtered through Mozart or something, it gives people some hooks that they can start hanging uh, your otherwise sort of disembodied. Um, uh, principles on right. Mm, absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's a when you think of um, theological discourse in the age of Twitter. Um, what I think about are the kinds of one-liners and the kinds of dismissive observations that people make. So it, it is very rare to find someone, with few exceptions, that uh, are on social media for the purpose of engaging and learning. Uh, most people are there because they have um, a particular agenda and they want to make that agenda known and they want the, the world to sort of uh, imbibe of their agenda overnight. And even though it may have taken them 20 years to get that position, they want the whole world to uh, come to it yeah. uh, the next day. So we're seeing a lot of that. And when you have somebody who offers sort of a nuanced, a substantive, a textured view on something. It makes theology something attractive. It makes theology something worthy to pursue. Um, I am very grateful that the, as you mentioned earlier, that the transitions I went through were not uh, made live on social media in my you know late teens and early 20s, because I'm sure I would have been embarrassed of those moments. In fact, when I came to, let's say my position, came to Presbyterian convictions, I had the luxury of going back to all my college friends whom I offended deeply, and I asked their forgiveness. I just don't think that happens anymore. I think people um, are, are very proud of being assertive and harsh. And what that does, it doesn't um, it, it doesn't engage other people into your thought process. So one, one of the premises I have, it's a principle I have on, on Facebook, and because I think that's, that's where the majority of my traffic lies. But one of the principles I have is I will only respond, I will only respond twice to people. And so if somebody poses a very genuine question, I'll be glad to break that rule. But if somebody is uh, desiring a fight, I will give them the luxury of responding once or maybe twice. And if they break that pattern, that is, if they are pursuing war, I'll very easily unfollow or I will block them. And I know that that seems radical, but I think it's the way of, I want to preserve the little sphere of influence I have for healthy and productive conversation. And um, as we say in church life, it takes one family to destroy the peace of a church. It takes one person to sort of destroy the environment that you have created, you know, in your, because I think it's, it's an environment that can be very beneficial. And if somebody comes in and uh, attempts to change the dynamic of that environment, it can turn people off and it can also um, do damage to your witness on, on social media. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I just saw, uh, what's his name? I think Alexander Young, maybe uh -huh. who was the, uh, the moderator, not this previous general assembly, maybe even three years ago. Anyways, he was moderator of the PCA general assembly probably three years ago. And uh, he just posted on, 
on Facebook. He said, here's what everybody needs to understand. He says, I'm a, I'm a professor in, I think he teaches sociology or education, not, not theology. He said, I'm a professor at a university with a lot of non-believers. Um, I'm, you know, a Presbyterian churchman. So I'm around church people. He says, I'm around, he names like four or five different groups, um, who he knows. And he says, whenever you're coming and, and to, to post, whenever I post something and you're being argumentative from either direction, whether you're, you know, quite progressive or quite conservative or whatever, he said, what you need to know is you're not just engaging with me, you're engaging with this world. And he basically asked for a little bit of sort of, you know, this probably a cheesy way to say it, but uh, and these are my words, it's kind of a missional space where a space of grace where you can, uh, you know, you, you sort of recognize, I don't know this person, right, who I'm arguing with on another person's status. I don't know this person, but the person who is our connection, does, they, they, yes. this is his friend. And sort of allowing, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to be making this argument with this person. And in fact, as you say, maybe I'm hurting this guy's witness. Maybe I'm actually, you know, pushing this person further from the kingdom because I'm assuming uh, this sort of role is as teacher or lecturer. Anyways, I just, it made me think about, you know, that's so true. That, true. There are all these just myriad worlds whenever there's an argument on someone's status and, you know, for all you know, this is that person's, you know, grandmother right. <laughs> that you're right. arguing that you're arguing with. And I do think that's a helpful thing to keep in mind, the context, because uh, if you if you don't do that, everybody just becomes, you know, a brain on a stick, right. uh, totally disembodied, totally discontextualized, sociologically or familially or whatever. Um, so that's a helpful, I think that's a helpful. So question. Dustin, what is the, um, I don't know if we give some examples here, but, uh, what's the ugly, what's the ugly of social media? When do we, um, when do we see that? And we say, wow, this has a potential of destroying uh, so much. What are some examples perhaps of, of, of ugly ways in which uh, Christians have engaged in social media and just done damage to uh, the cause of Christ? Yeah, gosh. Well, I think one thing is your whenever someone's confident confidence is so um, disproportionately large as compared to their knowledge, because I, th I think what that can do is, you know, there there are lots of great reasons uh, I think to believe, you know, not only that there is a God, but that. He revealed himself uh, supremely in Jesus, but when and, and someone may hold that conviction quite you know quite dearly, but then they get into a Facebook argument, and their knowledge you know they believe this firmly, but their knowledge of the thing they're arguing is really limited. And what it allows people to do, you know, earlier I said there's one danger of you yourself becoming a caricature yeah. of what you used to be because you're just so ossified and, and you're unchanging. Another danger would be that you cause the person who you're interacting with to create a caricature in their head that you sort of embody. In other words, you know, 
you're may, let's say arguing that um, you know arguing with someone who's a non-believer and atheist about mm-hmm. intelligent design type things when you're doing that and you're very very confident not just that there is a god but you're very very confident in these sort of evidences that you're giving um, and the person you're talking to is a scientist or whatever um, and they sort of get the feeling that, you know, this person's very, very confident talking about all these proofs and all these evidences. But it's clear that once you peel back the surface one layer, there's nothing else there for them. I mean, they're just saying these bumper sticker things that they've heard, but they don't actually have that knowledge base. It makes it just so much more difficult to reach that person later because they think, yeah, I've engaged with people like you before. So I think that's something, you know, I think and as you say, Facebook and Twitter does not reward um, humility or um, any sort of middle of the roadness or it and it doesn't reward, you know, the I don't know. And I'll just say um, to give myself as an example, you and I are part of a, a closed Facebook group with maybe 15 other people. And the other day y'all were saying um, someone in there said, oh, this person died. And the person was like a political philosopher or something like that. Anyways, I'd never heard of this person, but I Googled him. I saw that I just read the person, like the first line of his Wikipedia page. Then later I was talking to some other people and they bring up this guy's death and they say, what do you think about this guy? And just from that, like first Wikipedia page, I kind of gathered this is who he was and this is where he's coming from or something. And I almost offered an opinion as if for the past, you know, decade, I've really been wrestling with this guy's political thought. When in reality, I need to say, I know nothing about the guy. I read two sentences on a Wikipedia page, right? But social media has a way of just giving you, you know, all the confidence in the world that's totally unearned and totally undeserved. And that ultimately, you know, people sort of see through, um, I think. Um, let me ask you, that's a, a negative way I've seen it. Has there been any really great examples where you think Facebook or Twitter has been just extremely helpful? Yes. Um, and I have, uh, there's some very, um, unique ways in which it has been helpful. I think it has been, it has served the local church, um, in a very, very valid way. It has drawn a lot of people to, uh, consider, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, we live in a day when only the church that, um, uh, the church that shines brightest are the churches that shine on Sunday morning, uh, and by and literally with the lights and uh, all the, you know, stereotypical ways we speak of uh, these churches that are a lot more concerned about entertainment than substance. But social media has allowed um, small churches like mine and perhaps small churches like yours to actually lay our case out to the public, and and give a more perhaps a nuanced view of what church life ought to look like. And perhaps what is important to contemplate when you think mm. of a church. And I think that's an important um, avenue for us to take advantage of in our day. And I think I, I, we, we've tried to do that with our church in Pensacola. And I'm sure you guys have done that very well as well. Um, but people are, are um, I think this is a comment that uh, Jordan Peterson makes quite a bit, is that people are more substantive than we give them credit for. And they don't know that they are substantive until we present them with something that um, is substantive. Then they say, wait a minute, I've always longed for that thing of substance, but I didn't know how to put into words, neither did I know it existed. And here it is. 
And so they want to grab a hold of that. I think social media has helped us uh, sharpen our arguments a lot more. And so that's been a very beneficial uh, way that I think the church has gained uh, from that. Another department, of course, I think is the one we, you know, just before this conversation here, we were, I was uh, updating my congregation on a uh, an upcoming funeral uh, of the father of, of a, a kind and gracious man in our congregation, and it has united people in healthy causes too. And I think a healthy cause would be the cause of of grieving with those who grieve, weeping with those who weep. And so, in in this sense, I think the the charitable intentions of the church has increased our ability to. Uh, be more self-aware of other people's grief has increased. And there are abuses in all these departments, of course. But overall, I think that's been um, an incredible uh, light in in, um, in, the, in in the church. Yeah, absolutely. And I, to your previous point about it allows maybe smaller churches to have a bigger platform. It also, and this has been something I've sort of just always intuitively believed, that some of the greatest theologians or perhaps the greatest living theologians aren't living in the walls of, uh, of a seminary. They're not in an ivory tower or something. They're pastors who just week in and week out have preached through the whole Bible and have an amazing, you know, it's like someone who, uh, mm. who's just walked the same land over and over again. And their mind has just become a map of that land. Um, and, and social media has, you know, I can think of specific people who otherwise would not have had, you know, the status to publish a book or something, but really do have an amazing platform and have incredible insights. Um, and no doubt their voice wouldn't have been heard uh, because of the place in which God has them uh, shepherding as flock, were it not for social media. Yes, there are bad things. There are even ugly things happening in social media. But I think the overall effect, if we were to quantify it, is that. Um, the gospel is being proclaimed in ways it has never been proclaimed before. I was encouraged to uh, abandon social media altogether because it's a um, it's a platform owned by liberals and that kind of argument, which I'm sure you've heard. And my argument was essentially, yeah, but as long as whoever is ruling this social media platform allows me to contradict their worldview day after day after day and provide a distinctly Christian platform day after day after day, I am uh, going to take every opportunity I can because that's where the masses are and that's where um, a change can happen. And so I think that there's a, a, a we need to be very careful that we don't overreact to the gifts that God has given us. And I think social media can be a great gift. Um, there are going to be abuses and overreact. But, um, you know, as I've always quoted, um, I think, and I think it came from Luther, but the, the abuse of something is not an argument against its proper use. So you need to have, you need to be self-consciously aware that you have a unique role on social media. And if you're intentional about what you publish, and if you're um, occasionally or perhaps better frequently aware of the places where you do overreact, if you're having that conversation on a regular basis, I think platforms like Facebook and Twitter can be incredibly fruitful platforms uh, for any Christian. A really fascinating conversation, and I hope uh, those who are listening will um, uh, take heed to things we've said or perhaps contribute uh, in a comment section. Um, we're all engaged. It's very rare to find somebody who's completely disengaged, and even if they're disengaged from social media, they're going to be around people who are always um, letting them know that they ought to be engaged. 
or sharing something they've learned or that they've come across. And so this is the world we live in. And so our response is not to um, uh, forsake it, but to uh, be in it in a faithful and effective way. And I think we need to take uh, what God has given us, the world we, we're living in, and use it in a way that honors God. And so um, thank you for um, your contributions, Dustin. And as always, uh, a delight to speak with you. Wonderful talking to you also. Have a great summer, Yuri.